Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, welcome to Ask Mapped. Uh, we are here today with uh, the advisors. Uh, Ryan is on a uh, business trip and Rachel is off rotation today. And so it's uh, me and, uh, and the, the, the other advisors here that I'll introduce in a minute. So I'm really uh, excited to, to have the advisors running the show today. So that's awesomeness. Um, so uh, if you don't know uh, me or who I am, I'm Dr. Scott Wright and uh, work as an advisor here at MAPT. I formerly uh, director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School in Dallas. And uh, I retired several years ago as uh, the executive director at uh, the Texas Medical and Dental Schools Application Service. Um, and uh, wonderful to be here with all of you today. And we're excited to answer your questions and see how things are going. So, uh, so but uh, for, for now, let me introduce my colleagues and uh, Courtney Lewis, a former uh, Director of Admissions at Burrell College of Osteopathic Medicine in Las Cruces, New Mexico. How are you, my friend, Courtney? I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day in Las Cruces, and I nice. see a little animal friend in the background. Yes, <laughs> yes, he is uh, hanging out. So, nice. uh, yeah, so you're doing well? Doing well, yep. Good. You're back in Las Cruces from your trip to Seattle? Yes, we found a place to live in Seattle. So within the next couple of months, we're going to be moving back up there and kind Good. of splitting our time. So yeah. I will miss the sunshine. Uh, <laughs> we're going in the dreary winter of right. Seattle. Right. But um, it's it's an exciting move. I'm glad that we found a place that we like so well. Good, 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 yeah. good. Thanks. And then uh, my friend uh, and colleague, Verenia Granham, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think I'm in the minority. I actually like kind of rainy days. Oh, really? I don't know if I can do it all the time, Courtney. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I wish you the best. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do like that type of weather. Awesome. Awesome. And what's the weather look like today on Long Island? So it's beautiful. Nice. Very mild fall, early fall day. It's a little scary sometimes when you look at the weather patterns and it's still in the 60s, well into, no, you know, into November, still mm -hmm. in the 60s and 70s, but mm -hmm. it's gorgeous. It's sunny. It's mild. Very nice, nice. today. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, good. Good, good, good. Well, here in, uh, here in uh, Austin, Texas, it's a, a pleasant day. It's about 68 degrees right now Oof. and partly sunny and so it's quite nice quite yeah. nice uh, we'll be we'll have a high today around uh, 80 degrees so <laughs> ought to be ought to be a pretty good day so yeah well courtney we didn't talk about your weather how's how's weather in las cruces <laughs> oh it, it's gorgeous every day so oh, nice. there's there's really no complaining I love it every day, so. um good. it's our high is 75 our low nice. is in the low 50s so we get the nice, nice crisp yeah. and cool mornings and evenings and then nice a really nice, nice day awesome so, 
We can wrap it up after this, right? I mean, yeah, right. We did the weather report. Right. We did the national weather report. <laughs> uh, yeah, because we have Long Island, and, and yeah. soon we'll have Long Island. We'll yeah. have uh, Austin, Texas, and Seattle, yeah. Washington. So we'll That's have really the whole coast country. to coast. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Ooh, I, I think some... we'll have people in every time zone once I move to. Mm -hmm. The Pacific time yep. zone. Yeah. So awesome. nice, we're nice, nice. have good spread. Yep. Nice. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get started with some some of your questions now, yeah. and we want to get to as many as possible today, and that's certainly always our goal. So uh, so we'll uh, we'll jump into uh, jump into a question. All right. All right. So Jan says, "Do you recommend sending a letter of intent?" post interview. Uh, this is a very common question, Courtney. I think one that uh, we often hear and one that is on the minds of uh, on minds of students. What is your you know feeling about letters of intent after they interview? Yeah, very common. And what we always say, at least to, to preface this, is reach out to the school. Usually they will let you know if they accept a letter of intent or update letters or want to be contacted post-interview. That's always the best rule of thumb is to see. Um, they can tell you if it's gonna end up in your file, if people are gonna see it, if you can reach out to your interviewers directly or if it's just gonna be uploaded and never seen and never read or if they don't want that type of letter for your file. So reach out to the school. Very common for the schools to get this question. It's not a bad thing to do, um, but if they do have strong feelings or a rule one way or the other, it's best to follow those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree with that. All right, good, good, good question, Jan. Yeah, Brinia, did you have a well, comment? I, I was just gonna add to that as well. Like if you're going to send a letter of intent, just to keep it brief, um, you don't want to mm -hmm. kind of go on and on about how they're your favorite school and all of that. Just short, succinct, emphasize um, what about the school, what specific things about the school you really are uh, excited about, um, and just keep it brief. Yeah, yeah, good, good point. Good point. I've seen too many, uh, too many letters in the past where they went on and on and mm -hmm. on and, you know, went into uh, excruciating detail about things that I didn't really need to hear or that I already knew. So okay. yeah, good point. Too long, didn't read. Yeah, right. <laughs> <Or you can laughs> Unfortunately. Perfect. Yeah. That's right. Well, good. Honesty here. Yep. All right, JB. Hey, hey, JB. Uh, is it bad to tie in a clinical activity section experience into medicine? What if an interaction with a patient reassured me of the positive relationships I want to foster as a physician? Uh, this is a great question. Uh, Verenia, what are your thoughts about, you know, uh, in, in, in your uh, uh, activity section, you know, adding, you know, tying it into medicine or whatever, depending on what the activity was and, uh, talking about that. What are your thoughts here? Sure. So yeah, this is a great question. Um, definitely if it's a patient interaction or an experience in kind of a, a clinical setting or something where you are working directly with patients, you definitely want to talk about that. Talk about the impact you had or the impact the experience had on you. Um, that's exactly what medical schools want to want to know, right? What was the interaction? What, you know, what insights did you get from that experience? How did it make you kind of view medicine. Mm -hmm. 
However, not all experiences are going to be patient related, right? So not everything has to tie into medicine. So for instance, if you're tutoring students, you don't have to make a comparison that your students are like patients or patients are like students. You don't have to force that narrative about, uh, you know, everything sort of tying into medicine. If it's just strictly, you know, you helped out um, high school students, tutoring them for, you know, whatever subject it was, talk about that. Talk about the impact of just helping someone else and teaching them and what that mm-hmm. was like. Mm-hmm. You don't have to force a connection to medicine there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely clinical activities reflect on that. Why yeah. was that experience important to you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the things I like to always talk about, particularly with regard to activities, uh, and, and especially and, and most notably when they are uh, a clinical activity is is the the idea of journaling after your activity mm-hmm. after your day you know make some notes you know get back home maybe that night before you go to bed 15 minutes write out some stuff what happened today it could be positive could be negative whatever just you know whatever your thoughts are uh, this can be very helpful when you're writing your personal statement this mm-hmm. can be very helpful when you're developing uh, you know t- uh, you know, preparing for your interviews to just remind yourself of these types of things. And, and I always emphasize asking yourself two questions when you're, when you're thinking about an activity that you had during the day. Number one, what did I learn about medicine today? And number two, what did I learn about myself today? Uh, what, what were those two, what are those two answers to the questions? Uh, what did I learn about medicine and what did, what did I learn about myself? And kind of keep that as a, as a little bit of a context for, for kind of writing your thoughts out about what happened uh, that day. If only, if only there was somewhere where students could actually keep that information, Dr. Wright. Right. Uh, they could t- journal. Tell me more about that, Verenia. <laughs> Well, perhaps you've heard of something called Mapped App. Yes, yes. So as you all probably know, Mapped App is our software for pre-med students um, to track their activities, their experiences, like all the different components of your application, entering your courses, you can see your GPA trends, um, really wonderful resource. Uh, we highly encourage you, mm-hmm. you to check it out. Mm-hmm. You can get a free trial. Um, at map.com and actually there is a complete free level of it always uh, free always yep. free mm-hmm. on map.com mm-hmm. and then if you're interested in potentially chatting with one of us about your progress you can always look into the pro version of it as well yeah good point a little shameless plug there yeah <laughs> good point ryan and rachel will be very happy with you too <laughs> <laughs> awesome. yeah right uh good so how about another question so aline the bean Hello, Ms. Bean. Uh, hello to you. What are some questions one should reflect on if they're considering quitting mm. pre-med? Oh, this is a great question. I've never heard uh, this question before. Yeah. Oh, this right? is a yeah. fantastic question. Yeah. Verenia, I mean, you probably in your experience has Oof. dealt with a lot of students who were questioning, who were yeah. wondering, what should I do? Oh, yeah. uh, should do, is, is it time to quit? Whatever. Tell, tell me your thoughts about this. Sure. And it ranged from first first bio or chem exam to I've been doing this for too long. I'm ready to quit. So the, the, the range of, of emotions behind this can vary. Um, the first thing you want to ask yourself, Aline, or at least the first thing you want to tell yourself is this, it's okay to feel this way. It's okay. It's not unusual. You're not the first pre-med who's considered quitting. Uh, but what you want to ask yourself and want to reflect on is 
what drew me to medicine in the first place? What, what am I passionate about um, with regard to being a physician and being around pa patients? What drew me to that, first of all? And what else is going on right now that's kind of pushing me in the opposite direction? Is it my classes are too hard? Is it I'm just overwhelmed with all the amount of things I need to keep track of? Is it family that's pushing you in the opposite direction? They're telling you it's it's gonna take too long, it's too expensive, right? Identify what are those things that are impacting you and try to drown out the noise and just focus on how do you feel about this? How do you feel about committing to this field for however long it takes? Do you wake up every morning and think, man, I can go out and help people in, in such a tangible way and I'm okay with that. If it takes however long, if, if I'm burnt out at the end of the day, I'm still happy about this, great. If you're not feeling that way, let's talk about it. What else is going on? Like I said before, that's impacting your um, your feelings right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Dr. great. Right, Courtney, yeah. anything else you'd like yeah. to Yeah, any other comments uh, on that? No, I, I do wanna just, I guess, plug in the opposite direction. Sometimes you start down a path and you're really honest and self-aware and and the path takes you somewhere else. So mm -hmm. if after you have considered all of these things and have weighed everything and it's not working out, it's okay to kind of pivot your course to what's best for you and your future. It's not, you know, necessarily quitting or giving up if, if that's the right move for your course. So it is okay. But if it is about just, you know, trying to rush things or, or external factors and, or, you know, feeling overwhelmed and, and not having a lot of mentorship that can be, you know, you can get help for that. And, you know, we're always here for that type of stuff. That's why we all joined. Um, but, but it is okay to pivot if that's, you know, there's lots of ways to help people. There's lots of really amazing career paths that you can take that kind of branch off from medicine and still have something to do with it. So mm -hmm. st stay in the course if that's what ultimately you want to do and what's right, but it, but it is okay to pivot. I just want to kind of add that in because I yeah. know people start feeling really bad or guilty if they've made it a certain distance or mm -hmm. um so yeah that's, yeah, that's great good advice very good and and i would just you know just add to add to that visit with if you have a pre-med advisor at your institution visit with them see what their thoughts are you know kind of start a start a conversation with them about how you're feeling and, and what what's going on and if you don't have a pre-med advisor keep us in mind we're, we're certainly here to help if uh if if you need if you need that so mm -hmm. good yeah good luck yeah good luck uh, Alina, uh, hi, I'm currently taking Orgo, bless your heart, and like many, I'm struggling getting at least a B. I don't want to drop out, but I may need, what would medical schools think? Thank you. Courtney, this is, uh, this is not unusual. Or, or, organic chemistry is, is tough, it's very abstract, it's very difficult for some students. Uh, even students that did extremely well in general chemistry sometimes get to organic chemistry and it just didn't happen. And so, you know, in terms of this idea of withdrawing from the class, uh, what are your thoughts in terms of how medical schools view that? 
I would say a B is probably preferred over a late withdrawal or an incomplete. Um, but this is going to just have to be a decision that you're going to make. How much can you invest in this class? One reason is that this is foundational kind of core knowledge that you're going to need for not only the MCAT, but into the future, because it's going to be built upon when you get into med school. So this is material that that you really can't just digest and then purge out. You really need to maintain and build upon it. And so um, I would lean towards just trying to invest the time. A B is not <laughs> uncommon for especially, I would say, OCHEM 2. Um, I've seen many a B in my day, and that does not mean um, that you didn't understand the material. There's a wide range of how grades are given at different institutions. And we're aware that there is a bit of variation. So there, there is some latitude there of, of weighing these types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that would be my initial gut feeling on, on that one based on, on all of the stuff that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I, it, it strikes me that, uh, um, B, uh, Elena does not equal bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, B is is not a bad uh, grade, and and I agree with that. Now, Courtney, I guess the question here in my mind is, if it appears that a C is likely, um, what are your thoughts then on that? That's tough to say. Um, I'd like to know how many credit hours. Um, are going to also be affected in this? You know, is it you're taking one or two classes and then you're getting a C and you don't have a really full science heavy load because that would be cause for concern if I'm weighing everything. But if you have five or six classes, a C is kind of imminent, you know, and and you're just having to balance your schedule, I would give a little bit or I, I would have seen that maybe in a slightly different light. So it, it's really putting it in context of the rest of the academic record um, and what's going on that semester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good good point. That's a good point. You know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, Elena, good luck. I, I, hope, it, uh, I hope it turns out uh, to be a, a positive experience for you. Obviously, one of the things that I really talk a lot about is reflection and reflecting, just as Verenia sort of went through with all this, uh, g- reflect on what's what's really going on here. Why are you struggling uh, in in the course, and and try to understand that better. Uh, if you do make a C, uh, it doesn't mean everything is lost, and you just need to you know think of something else to do. It does not mean that. Uh, it means there needs to be some reflection. There needs to be some understanding of kind of what went on. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can still make it happen. And uh, so just, uh, you know, uh, good luck to you. Hope it hope it turns out OK. Yeah. And, and an academic record does not have to be straight A's every semester, every right. class. Right. Um, we we understand that these are going to be kind of mixed in there. It's um, it, I really I feel bad for the people that that kind of stress themselves out to the point of thinking, you know, oh, a B, it's, it's going to be the end of the world. It's, it's not. Um, and so it's okay 
do your best. This could be a good opportunity, you know, if you want to go into your professor's office hours to start building that rapport, asking for help, kind of utilizing resources that may be out there. Um, it, it could be a good opportunity to really buckle down and get some FaceTime mm -hmm. potentially because you're going to need a letter of recommendation. And if you're in there talking to the person, seeking to understand, looking for help and um, going to class and everything, uh, that would that would be good too. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there may be a way to salvage it. And if not, then do what you need to do. And, you know, it sounds like the rest of your academic performance is probably fairly strong mm -hmm. up to this point. And so um, it's okay if, if something does need to go, we're, we're going to look at things cumulatively. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we've seen yeah. all kinds of trends, anything and everything. 1B is definitely not going to be um, a deal breaker. Yeah. 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 Good. I, I completely agree with that. Great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. All right. Another question. Anita. Hello. I'm currently a junior and a scribe in the uh, emergency department. Have a volunteer. I have volunteer hours, but no research experience. Would medical schools look at me differently without research? Uh, this is a common question. Uh, one that we, uh, we answer a lot. And, and what I would just say to this is, uh, you do not have to have research. There is a very small number of medical schools in the country that do require research, but it's a very small number, and they're 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 research intensive institutions that have that as as part of what they're looking for. Uh, but generally speaking, most medical schools uh, do not need research. And and I will give you an example of my in out of my own experience uh, as director of admissions at a research intensive institution. UT Southwestern in Dallas. Uh, we um, did not require research, and I would say, in my in my feeling and in my recollections, uh, about half of our class uh, would have uh, research at some level or another, sometimes extensive, and about half of our class would really not have much research at all, if any. And so uh, it was not something. If you had it, we would want to, you know, delve into it and understand kind of what you what you learned out of it. But if you don't have it, I wouldn't worry about it. So, uh, so I don't think that you have to have research hours. I think it's much more important to have clinical hours. It's much more important mm -hmm. to understand uh, what those clinical hours were all about, what that meant, uh, and uh, what you learned from those hours, and then. Uh, and be able to talk about that in your application as well as in an interview setting. So uh, I do not think, in a, to, to, in a short way to answer your question, would medical schools look at me differently without research? Uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, yeah. Courtney, you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I, I would add too that a lot of students think it has to be clinical or lab-based research. That's not always necessarily true if you know you have experience in some of your social science classes mm -hmm. where you're conducting research um it's not it's you know it's not the same as in the lab per se but it's still research experience in the sense that you explored a topic um so you know that's not if you have that experience don't discount that but as mm -hmm. dr wright was just saying and as courtney just agreed to it, it's 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 good if you have it but it's not required yeah yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and and you know, keep in mind that it, as as Renia said, it, regardless of what kind of research you're doing, the key to research is learning how to ask questions and investigate how to answer those questions. That's, that's what that's what it's all about. 
And so if you get that kind of level of experience, that's great. Uh, but uh, don't, uh, don't lament if you don't have any research or if you're just not interested in research, yeah. then don't do it. Don't do it to just check off a box. Yeah. No, no, no. Nope. Yeah. Good question. All right. We're having some good ones today. Hannah, mm -hmm. if you can do research as an, oh, if you can do research as an MD, what is the goal difference mm -hmm. for MD PhDs? Ah, this is a great question. This is a very good question. And uh, one that's re really relevant to uh, if you're interested at a very extensive level in research, you know, the, the it seems to me like Hannah, that really your question is, if I'm super interested in research, what's the difference between getting an MD with opportunities as an MD student to doing research and the MD PhD? So, um, Brittany, do you have a you have a, in, any insight into this? The way I see the MD PhD is, as you said, for individuals who are really interested in continuing almost more of an academic um, mm -hmm. career, not necessarily working directly all the time with patients. They're more interested in looking into um, kind of the bigger questions in science and in medicine. So, you know, and that's not always the, the, the case because you do sometimes have clinical experiences in with MD-PhD where you're working with patients. But it's re the way I see it, it's more for students who really just want to focus on deeply exploring, um, you know, solving, deeply exploring subjects and, and solving problems, mm -hmm. maybe potentially finding cures for diseases um, and more so in an academic setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would I would further say just in terms of a practical level, uh, Hannah, that if you're uh, you know the one of the big differences uh, with an MD PhD is it is a much longer experience. Uh, you're talking about a medical school graduate school experience of anywhere between six and eight, maybe even more years uh, before you move on to residency. Whereas with an MD program only. Uh, you're looking at four years, maybe five if you took a year off to do, you know, a, re a year of research, mm -hmm. uh, which isn't required, but you could uh, potentially do that. Some medical schools build a year into their curriculum where you could do a year and, and just complete still with that year of research, uh, just completing it in, in a, in a four-year time, time span. So just practically speaking, it is, uh, it is a much different uh, ballgame. Uh, with the MD PhD or DO PhD than uh, with uh, than with just the MD or DO. Mm -hmm. Good. All right. Hillcrest Films. All right. I work at the hospital as a monitor tech, and we monitor up to forty cardiac patients at a time and read rhythms and measure their ECGs. Is this considered? clinical experience. So here is our, here's our uh, weekly, is it clinical uh, experience uh, question. So uh, we'll, we'll all chime in on this. Uh, Verenia, what do you think? Yes. I mean, we, we usually get a few of these a week. Um, so the fact that I will say this clinical experience is any experience where you're directly involved in the care of another human being, right? You're providing care to that person, that patient. Um, the setting doesn't matter. So yes, in this case, um, this individual works in a hospital, um, but they could also be working in a hospital 
registering patients, right? Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily where you're working directly with patients. So this, this, uh, this experience, it sounds like where you're monitoring individuals, you're checking on their um, cardiac rhythms and measuring their ECGs sounds to me like clinical experience. Mm -hmm. um, but I would just like to remind everyone listening and watching that it's not always about the setting, right? It's more so what are you doing with the patient? Are you in some way directly involved in caring for them, for them, uh, caring for their health and taking care of their health needs? Mm -hmm. Yep. Very good. Courtney, what are your thoughts? Boy, this is right on the border, isn't it? It's um, just kind of broaching the gray area. I would agree with Verenia. I would say I would lean towards this, probably counting towards clinical experience. <laughs> The only question I guess I would have for follow-up is, are you removed from the patient, just kind of sitting in a room mm -hmm. at a computer screen, just kind of monitoring and you never actually interface? But even then, I think because you're actively monitoring what's going on in the hospital mm -hmm. setting for a patient that is there, I I lean towards this, this probably counting. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think it's uh, definitely uh, you know a little little on the gray area, but I, I certainly think it's uh, it's uh, the likelihood is it's clinical and with and, and always um, who, who, whatever your name is. I'm sure your name is not Hillcrest Films, but uh, whatever your name is, uh, then I absolutely think that you know you can make a contention in your in your application uh, mm -hmm. for this being uh, clinical. Uh, you know, it is a self-reported, self-evaluative kind of thing. And uh, you, you can certainly, I, I could easily see making this uh, case it, for it being clinical. And as long as you have a good, you know, response to an interviewer, for example, that might say, why, why did you consider this to be clinical experience? Then, you know, as long as you have a good response to that, then, then I think you're good to go. All right, another question. Try hard ninja. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have an interview Monday. Congratulations. That's awesome. I'm finding it a little difficult to prepare an answer for why medicine to be under two minutes in length. Can I bring up a story I used in my personal statement? Uh, what are your thoughts about this, Verenia? Uh, can uh, what what do you, what do you think here? Uh, yeah. So first of all, congratulations. Um, I'm getting an interview. Um, the why medicine in under two minutes. So there, there isn't necessarily a timer for these things, right? You can answer the question and you want to be succinct, of course, because I mean, I don't know how long this interview will be. If it's a 15, 20 minute interview, usually it's about a half hour interview. Mm -hmm. Um, you do want to be succinct, but there's no, there's no timer. There's, it, it's as long as it needs to be for you to get your point across. Mm -hmm. um, having said that though, you don't wanna go on and on and on either for five, seven minutes. Mm -hmm. So you wanna be succinct, but um, don't think of it as, I have to time this to under two minutes, mm -hmm. right? Tell your story. Absolutely, you can bring up a story used in your personal statement. Many times applicants think, well, I already spoke about it in my personal statement, I have to talk about something different now. You spoke about it in your personal statement. If it's, you know, a part of why you're there and why medicine, of course, you're going to talk about that there. I would just encourage you to practice 
summarizing it in a way that if it helps you to be, you know, to time yourself, maybe two to three minutes, that's fine. Um, but it, it should just be for as long as you need it to be to answer your, to tell them your mm -hmm. why medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one thing that occurs to me, and, and I don't know, uh, Try Hard Ninja, if this will resonate with you or not, but two minutes is a long time mm -hmm. in an interview. Uh, I would say most interview question responses are going to be well under two mm -hmm. minutes. And so, you know, I, 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 it concerns me a little bit that you're saying uh, you're finding it difficult to answer this question in under two minutes. Uh, if that's the case, that's, it, it, it may not seem to you at this point to be a long time, but two minutes is a long time. I think most questions, you know, you, you can pretty much have a, a pretty clear and good response in, you know, 30, 45 seconds, maybe even a minute, uh, is, is pretty good response. Courtney, you, you agree with that? Yeah, I, I agree. Having sat in these, um, so I would, I don't know what are maybe identify the key points that you want to get across because what you don't want to do is kind of verbatim reread your personal statement even though it's asking the same thing you do want it to be a lot more conversational and maybe give some context um, so identify the things that are going to be high yield most valuable that you that you really want to get across and then just focus on those and that will probably help you be a bit more succinct. You don't have to fit everything into this answer. They're gonna ask you other questions. You're gonna have an opportunity likely to talk about any number of different things. And so um, really identify what it is that drives you to the why medicine. And if it's something that you talked about in your personal statement, that's totally fine. Just don't verbatim repeat it, uh, but you can definitely still bring it up and um, I don't know, Try recording mm -hmm. yourself, use your phone, mm -hmm. record your response, and then sit and watch it back as cringy as that may seem. <laughs> Sometimes it's helpful, you know, yeah. to, to hear, does it sound rambly to you? If, you know, are you actually getting to the one minute, two minute mark? Mm -hmm. um, are there things that you could kind of be a little bit more succinct on or, you know, kind of remove if they're not really in line with the specific question. So that may be the best bet if you're trying to work out how to answer that question is, is to record yourself and, and be able to rewatch that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's great. Great response. Good. All right. Um, another question, Tiffany, Hey, thank you all for doing this today. Well, you're very welcome. We love it. Uh, I was wondering if you have any tips for answering what makes you unique type questions in the interview. Yeah, this is a great, uh, really a great question. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, uniqueness is uh, based on your unique experiences and who and your unique character. And so what I would say is, um, you know, the, the, the thing I think that bo when you boil it all down, what makes you unique is the meaning that you create from the experiences that you've had. Uh, the experiences themselves may not be unique. Uh, you're going to do clinical hours. Tons of people are going to do clinical hours. Maybe you do research. Tons of people are going to do research. You have done X, Y, and Z. There are lots of other applicants who have done X, Y, and Z. It's not the activity. It is the meaning that you generate from the activity. 
And so when, when, in my view, when you're answering a question about what makes you unique is you're talking about what you've learned and what you know based on these experiences that you've had. Uh, I think that is what makes us unique as individuals. The lesson that I get out of doing an activity may be very different from the lesson that you get from doing an activity. And so I would say that is, you know, one thing that, that really does make us unique is, uh, is the, the, the things that we glean from our activities. So just kind of keep that in mind when you're moving forward with a question like that, particularly in an interview setting and just talk about, you know, the lessons. And you could say, you know, that's a great question to the interviewer and say, and, and what I would like to do in response to that is tell you a story of, a, of a, an experience that I had and then and then what i learned out of that experience uh, which is indeed what's make what makes me unique uh so that hopefully that's helpful uh tiffany uh, but just kind of think about that uh, yep. uh next question i think we have a uh debbie if a student shadows multiple specialties but all in pediatric facilities is that frowned upon is it important to try and add adult shadowing too? Um, what do you think, uh, Courtney, as, uh, as a former director of admissions, when, when somebody has sort of done everything in, in, a, in a certain area, uh, does that cause you pause a little bit? Would you like to see them have a little bit more breadth to their experiences or, or is that something that you don't really, you know, think much about? Yeah, I would err on on this being kind of an important component just for yourself personally and knowing medicine in different facilities. It has a very different pace, different patients, different um, knowledge base, different terms and things. And so uh, for your foundation, it may be beneficial to, to kind of get some additional clinical experience and, and broaden that view. Is it going to be a ruling out factor? I don't know. I, I don't think so. It's, you know, we've seen medical experience from, you know, 20 hours with one physician all the way up to, you know, army med techs or um, combat medics who have 10,000 hours. So we've seen a lot. Um, there's a very wide range. And so I would say it's, it's always, going to be beneficial to have a little bit broader view, but if you absolutely can't, it's probably not going to be the one single ruling out factor. Um, mm -hmm. but, but make sure that you do have strong letters from the physicians at this practice. Um, it's, you're, you're going to need that like every other pre-med. And so make sure that this time that you're investing into this uh, one facility is um, going to be most beneficial, most high yield. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Great. Thanks, Debbie, for the for the question. Um, big oof. How important? It makes me think of the Big Lebowski. Or in that what's that, the name of that movie? <laughs> yeah. Big Lebowski. Yeah. Anyway, mm -hmm. big oof. How important is having research in the application? So we we've sort of addressed this, mm -hmm. and and uh, uh, I think that you know based on kind of what our experience has been, I don't think it's really, you know, necessary. Uh, so it, how important is it to have research in the application? If you want to do research, do it. If you don't, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, anonymous ant. Uh, okay, so hard, so hard to fit questions in 200 characters. Multiple post question incoming. Oh, here we go. <laughs> A little heads up. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I have just, uh, I have just over 100 hours of clinical volunteering in a child life position. May not be considered clinical. It could depending on what you're doing. Uh, but much of my exposure to desire to enter medicine has come from my own experiences with MDs and shadowing. Must I scribe MA to get more quote, true clinical hours? Okay. So what we have here is a hundred hours of clinical volunteering in a child life position. Uh, I don't know completely what that means. Child life position, uh, probably would need more information about that. Uh, but, uh, mo most of, she says most of my, or he, I don't know, uh, much of my exposure to a desire to enter medicine has come from my own experiences within these. So, uh, as a patient, I'm guessing and shadowing. Uh, must I scribe MA to get more true clinical hours? What do you think, Courtney, about this? Um, well, if there's shadowing mixed into that, if there's a decent number uh, of hours in that, then I would say no. Um, scribing is not a requirement. It's a really good way to um, be involved in healthcare and kind of learn the terminology and it's kind of shadowing plus some. But um, I may be biased because I used to help run a scribe company. Um, but it's, uh, it's not required or necessary. And if you have shadowing, um, that will count as true clinical hours. Um, but if you need to have additional hours, uh, if those are few and far between, and, and you need to kind of build that foundation like we were talking about, um, it can be in shadowing still over time. It doesn't have to be that you have to seek a job um, as an MA or a scribe to be able to fulfill that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would just, uh, I would add to that, that, uh, that one of the things that you want to consider is if, if the lion's share of your interest in medicine and your contact with medicine is as a patient, then that concerns me a little bit because that experience is going to be very different because you're in the middle of it. You're, you're emotionally in the middle of it and you're not viewing it sort of objectively. And so you want to think about getting experience where you're able to sort of view it from a, from a different perspective and view it from the doctor's perspective, not from the patient's perspective. Uh, that I think is a, is a different paradigm that you really need to think about. You don't have to, as Courtney said, work to do that. You could volunteer, you could shadow, uh, you know, any kind of clinical uh, contact uh, hours would be, would be fine with that, whether they're volunteer or paid or whatever. But I do think having that perspective from the doctor's perspective, as opposed to the patient perspective is, is important. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Julius, uh, what's your advice on the earliest date that I should target to submit my AMCAS application? I am a senior, will be completing my undergraduate classes June 2023 and plan to take the MCAT May 2023. So this is a great, you know, kind yep. of nuts and bolts question. And uh, Verenia, what, what, uh, what's your advice here? Sure. Uh, Julius, we recommend that um, if you're ready, 
right? You want to submit early, as early as possible. So application will open up May, you'll submit um, in June, uh, typically. Um, so you want to be ready to submit early, as early as possible. And I emphasize ready, because oftentimes, applicants think that they have to apply early, no matter what, but their application really isn't ready. So focus on making sure that all the pieces of your application are solid, your personal statement, your activities, descriptions, all of that is good to go. Uh, but of course, applying earlier in the cycle is always, is always ideal. Um, so I would say like, you know, early June, it doesn't mean you have to submit the very second it opens, but you wanna try to submit around the first two weeks of June. But right. emphasize emphasis again on being ready. Being ready, correct. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Good point. Well, and, and when the application opens, there are things that you can work on over time as you're mm -hmm. waiting for your official transcripts to come through and as you're studying for the MCAT or waiting for your score to be received. There are other things that you could be entering and finalizing so that when you do receive those things, you are ready to hit submit and get verified and, and have mm -hmm. it sent off. So don't wait to get your MCAT score and your official transcript and stuff like that. Just be actively working on it in the meantime. And that will save you a lot of time because, you know, essays will hold you up. Sometimes a personal statement, if you haven't um, drafted it out a couple of times or revised it, will take up some time. Entering your experience hours can definitely take some time. So there are things to be done to get you ready to go um, as you wait. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the same thing applies for ACOMAS uh, as well as AMCAS, correct, uh, Courtney? Correct. Yep. And with ACOMAS, there are points in time where you can make academic updates. So if for some reason you needed to submit your application prior to receiving your official final transcript, you could. And then just when you get it in these target windows that are open, you can submit it at that time and they'll update your, your GPA and upload that transcript. But this still fits within this opening time frame. So it's unlikely that you would need to do that, um, but there is that opportunity if you need uh -huh. to. Oh, good. Well, good luck, Julius. All right. Jawad, uh, can I in, uh, take the MCAT before taking biochemistry? I uh, wish uh, Rachel was here to answer this question, but she's our MCAT expert. But uh, Verenia, what are your thoughts about uh, taking the MCAT before they have taken biochemistry? I wouldn't recommend it. Um, my understanding is that there is a lot of biochemistry on the MCAT. Um, and so unless you're planning to self-study that material, while you're prepping for the MCAT, um, I wouldn't recommend it. Mm -hmm. Take your yeah. take your biochemistry. If it means you have to delay taking the MCAT and potentially delay your cycle, that's better than trying to go through and not doing well in the MCAT because you didn't have the content knowledge for biochemistry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Yep. I agree completely. I agree completely. Catherine, I worked as a part-time MA for two months with a clinic and ended with 60 hours. Would that be enough or should I look into medical scribe positions? So here we have an enough, quote, enough question. Is it enough? Uh, th this is something that we talk a lot about. 
this this issue of uh, enough. And uh, un unfortunately, Catherine, uh, it's not a, it's not a question of what is enough. Um, that is uh, that that's not really the right question to ask. Uh, what what you want to do is really understand what medicine is all about. This is the purpose for being uh, for for wanting to see clinical hours from uh, students. And, uh, and 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 I think uh, that the that the the key here is can you talk about what you learned out of those experiences about medicine, about yourself, about taking care of patients? Uh, can you talk about meaningful, the, the meaningfulness of those experiences in a deep way? I've seen applicants who have, you know, 50, 60 hours and can talk enormously uh, uh, deeply about uh, about their experiences and what they meant and what they learned from them. I've also seen applicants who have hundreds and hundreds of hours who are so superficial that they they it's like did you were you really even there? You know, you you were standing there, but were you cognitively there uh, in in the room? Uh, so it's really not about enough. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, reflect on what you learned, what you got out of those experiences, uh, and, uh, and, and really understand those. And now the other part to wanting uh, students to kind of continue in some sort of clinical or shadowing opportunities is ostensibly you would enjoy that and it's going to be a huge motivator for you to continue on in the process. Uh, so think about that as well. Uh, uh, about continuing to be uh, involved uh, in some level of activity, whether it's paid or not paid or whatever, uh, so that it's a motivator for you because, you know, you're going to hit the wall at certain points in the semesters or, or whatever when you're studying, and you're going to need that level of motivation to keep you going. And so uh, hopefully that's what it does for you when you get into a clinical environment and you see these people uh, taking care of, of patients uh, and that, that, that really encourages you. So kind of keep those things in mind as you, as you go about, you know, sort of deciding what you want to, what you want to uh, move into. But uh, the other thing I would say about being an MA is I think being an MA is, is an incredibly rich experience uh, for, uh, for, for pre-med students to have. Uh, it, it, it really gives you a lot of direct patient, patient contact. You learn a lot about medicine. You learn a lot about patients, uh, not to take away from scribing positions. I think they're wonderful, uh, but they, they sometimes scribes is very passive, whereas MA is very active. Um, so, it, you know, scribing, it just kind of depends on the setting and, and the, the caregiver you're working with. Mm -hmm. But uh, often, uh, you know, MAs are almost always very active in terms of their patient contact and stuff. Yep. All right, good. Julia is getting a physician letter of recommendation, a soft requirement for AMCAS. Most schools don't require it, but I have heard it's part of the hidden curriculum. Whoa. So Courtney, what are your thoughts about the hidden curriculum or the hidden requirements for a medical school? Do they exist or not? Maybe at some institutions. Mm. Um, but if we, if we leave it open, the purpose for leaving it open is to allow you a little bit of latitude to be able to submit 
strong letters of recommendation. Is a physician letter likely preferred? Probably, if you think about it, you are seeking to go to medical school to become a physician who will be your mentor, your teachers, your peers uh, in the future. And so having a recommendation from a physician, I would say, is, is a strong way to go, whether MD or DO. Mm -hmm. um, can you get other supervisor uh, letters of recommendation that are clinical based, yes, we leave that requirement open. You are definitely allowed to submit that. And if you feel like you have a really strong letter from somebody, definitely include it. Um, but but think about the purpose of the clinical letter and, and having one from a physician is, is usually a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't know if I would consider it a, um, a hidden curriculum, I think. <laughs> Um, when right. applying to med school, it, it, it right. just kind of naturally fits in that. But I know during COVID, that kind of changed things up. That was certainly something um, I was on a council of admissions directors for um, national. I got to sit in on a lot of leadership meetings for that. And I know that this was something that at least on the DO side was heavily discussed because a lot of us were still requiring a physician letter as opposed to AMCAS that left it to just clinical open interpretation. Um, and, and a lot of us shifted to that, um, knowing that it was harder to obtain clinical um, physician mm -hmm. letters at that time. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, if you can get one, it, it probably wouldn't hurt. Usually you don't have to submit bare minimum letters. You can include an additional one if you do have one that's clinical based and a physician, but you feel like one is gonna be additionally strong, you can add that. Um, so there's different routes to take, but I, I don't think it's hidden, but it's, it's beneficial, I would say, um, mm -hmm. if you can get a strong letter from a physician. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, sure. Good. All right. I think we have time for maybe a couple more questions before the end of the end of the hour. Okay. Uh, Hecropobble. Uh, I guess I'm pronouncing that. Hecropobble. Uh, whatever. Uh, how will a possible removal of affirmative action affect medical school admissions, assuming the Supreme Court rules to overturn it? Well, this is a good, relevant question, and I think mm -hmm. uh, something that students often are, you know, uh, you know, particularly right now with uh, with uh, the Supreme Court's new uh, cycle this year uh, and affirmative action cases being on the on the docket. Uh, certainly something that uh, that would 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 come up. And uh, so, you, you know, the, the first thing I would say in response to this question is not all schools use affirmative action. Uh, even though it's allowable under the Constitution, so says the Supreme Court, there are state requirements in some states that say uh, they will not allow it. There are states where affirmative action is not practiced in the, in the entire state at public institutions. Uh, and there are some schools, even within states that do allow it, that do not use affirmative action already. So it's going to be a bit of a mixed bag even now with regard to uh, affirmative action. And, and when we talk about affirmative action, what we're really talking about is a race-based uh, program that identifies the benefits of, uh, of, uh, of including a diverse class based on race or, and or ethnicity in terms of what they're going to be looking at 
relative to gaining admissions to uh, to medical school. Now, I guess my my question, Courtney, to you is: At Burrell, did you uh, did Burrell or does Burrell have uh, use affirmative action, uh, or is it a race uh, blind process? So we have that information in the application, but I would say that um, it's it's a protected anti-discrimination um, section or category. Mm -hmm. So this is not something that um, we're going to use to rule in or out. Um, mm -hmm. We're looking at the, the content and the, the cumulative information that's contained within an application. So I'm in alignment with you. I think um, schools understand that it's healthy to have a diverse population um, and, and be producing a culturally and uh, racially diverse cohort. Um, so I'm not sure how much this will mm -hmm. like affect um, mm -hmm. in an identifiable way, mm -hmm. uh, but maybe shedding some light on it is, is always a good thing. It's mm -hmm. always good for us to have time to reflect on our own kind of screening process and ways that we're evaluating and any implicit bias. I think a lot of our schools do implicit bias training a lot of the time for our screeners, our admission right. committees, our interviewers. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I'm not sure if we're going to see any identifiable change because this mm -hmm. is an area um, I think we're all kind of hyper aware of and yeah. trying to make sure that we, we proceed thoughtfully and, and respectfully in that, yeah. in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree yeah. with that. All right. One more question and then we'll, that'll close us out. Sounds good. Now let's see. We have one more, one more question. Sam, Sam, you're getting the last word here, buddy. Or I don't know if you're, you're getting the last word, Sam, whoever you are. How important would you consider research medical? How, wait, how important would you consider research medical? I have worked as a scribe for three years, hmm. participated in only one research from the same hospital. Would you recommend taking more research? Here we go again. Yep. Another research question. Verenia, you get the last word. What's, what, so, what, so, what says you? Oh, oh, I think you're muted. muted. Sorry. You muted? <laughs> yep, I'm back. Um, so, Sam, it's not as important as having actual patient care experiences. Clinical experiences will always trump research experience. Uh, it sounds like you, as a scribe, you have probably worked around patients before. So um, that's what's more important than research. Having said that, is it if you have it, if you enjoy doing it, great. It's, you know, it's nice to have that experience, but it is not required for medical school. So it's your choice. If you enjoy research, go for it. If not, don't worry about it. Yeah. And we had, you know, I, I think related to this, there was another another question which said uh, something about looked at the percentages of applicants that possess research experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, I think uh, this was Billy Raymond Roth uh, asked that question. And so what I would say about this in terms of research is the applications often ask, have you had research or in the pre uh, matriculation questionnaire, they may ask, did you have research experience prior to coming to medical school? 
they don't ask what that research experience was. It could be a research experience within the context of uh, a class that they're talking about. Uh, it could be research experience at a hospital. It could be clinical. It could be bench. You know, you don't know. It's a self-reported sort of idea of what research was. So just because they say 75 or 80% of students had research before coming into medical school doesn't necessarily define what that means. It's a very big, big open-ended question that I think is really not a very helpful question or, or a statistic that really gives a whole lot of credibility to, uh, to, to the answer. So what I would say to you, Sam, is if you're interested in doing research, more research, then go for it. Absolutely. If you're not interested in, in, in doing it, then then don't do it. Don't do it, or don't do any more. Uh, I do think that clinical experience is much more important. Yeah, uh, and and just to kind of drive this point home, I've sat in on many many selection committee discussions and and had discussions with practicing clinicians, and some of them do research and some of them don't. And, you know, in the interview, if all you can talk about is your research, because that's what you were hyper-focused on and it took up a bunch of your time, a lot of the times on the back end, what the discussion would be is, I feel like this person wants to do a PhD mm -hmm. and not actually care for patients. Like there's no passion for mm -hmm. patient interaction that I can glean out of this. And so you don't have to do research prior to um, I know that, you know, we all know that that kind of gets spread around, but that doesn't mean that it's a requirement at the schools. If we don't say it, then it's, it's not, you know, it's, um, there's no hidden curriculum. There's no hidden curriculum in this effect. And so, uh, right. you know, a lot of you guys will have it just because of the types of programs that you're in. Maybe it's required for your degree or you kind of naturally gravitated or you needed a job and one of your professors had an opening in a lab. And so you guys just kind of naturally gravitate towards these things or seek out these opportunities. Um, but a lot of schools do not require undergraduate research experience. And so I wouldn't use that as a true measure of, look, you need research to matriculate. Um, right. So yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, we've come to the end of the hour. And so I want to thank all of you for being here with us today, for asking uh, really great questions. I want to thank my colleagues, uh, Courtney and Verinia, thank you for being here. And uh, we have, uh, we are always thinking about you guys and, and what you're going through and how things are going. And uh, so just keep in mind that you can do this. It is possible. Uh, be committed, be motivated, be passionate and trudge onwards through to the goal. Have Trudge. a good, uh, yes. yeah, right. <laughs> Trudge is the right word. <laughs> so have a, have a good rest of your day and we'll, we will definitely see you next week. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.